Hello, welcome to the Her Head and Films podcast. In this podcast, I share my personal thoughts and feelings about the films that I watch. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know who I am, my name is Caitlin. I consider myself a writer, a dreamer. I love literature, art, poetry, and in the last few years, I've developed a really mad burning passion for cinema and I watch a lot of international world cinema, I watch a lot of art house cinema and I created this podcast as a way to talk about those movies that I watch. I live in a rural area in the south. Um, I don't really have access to any kind of cinephile culture so I don't have like a cinephile world to connect to in my real everyday life. So this podcast functions as an outlet for me to share my thoughts and my emotions and really explore the films that I watch and to share all of that with you. It's a personal podcast. It's very personal often. It's raw. It's subjective. Um, It doesn't mean I don't talk about larger issues in films, but often the films that I talk about, it's grounded in my experience in life and the way that these films make me feel. If you don't know what the title refers to, it's from an email that I sent a friend a few years ago. I was in a really intense mood with films and I was watching a lot of films and I said in that email, I said, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. It was just something that I just wrote. Um, and when I got to thinking about starting this podcast, that phrase came back to me because it really captures the way I engage with film, how I'm always thinking about it, um, how it's a big part of my life. This film podcast does have a Patreon. Uh, you can find it at patreon.com slash herheadandfilms. Patreon is just a website where you can help people who are making videos or podcasts or anything else creative, you can help support them financially. I do offer a wide array of rewards. You can get access to many episodes that are about 10 to 20 minutes long. You can get mail from me. You can recommend a film to me and I'll review it. You can, there's all kinds of things that I have as rewards on the Patreon for you. One of the rewards is that you get a shout-out in each episode. So I just want to take a moment to do my shout-out. So thank you, Jesse, Lindsay, Olivia, Carolyn, Feminist Overlord, and Michelle. Thank you all for being patrons of the podcast. And thank you to all of you who listen on a regular basis, who share the podcast on social media, who are just loyal listeners. And if you're a new listener, hello, welcome. Um, so today's podcast is, it's going to be really personal and I'm just going to warn you. It's going to be raw. It might get emotional. I might cry. I don't know. There may be spoilers for the film that I'm going to talk about. I don't know how deeply I'm going to go into certain things. But I had to talk about this film. Um, It's called House of Sand and Fog. It's by Vadim Perlman. 
and it was released in 2003. Many of you have probably heard of this film. It got nominated for a few Academy Awards. Um, it, I think it was a pretty successful film, somewhat, but it's it's a known film. It's based on a book that was written in 1999 by the same name. I haven't read the book, but I do want to. And um, I want to talk about this film because it's really personal for me. Um, this is a film that I saw when I was really young. So it came out in 2003. I was born in 1989, so I was probably about 14 when it came out. And I had the DVD uh, back when DVDs were the thing. Blockbuster used to have these sales for like, uh, you'd get four DVDs for like $20. And I remember, I think I remember that I got House of Sand and Fog. I think there was like a making of featurette and things like that. Why I feel drawn to this film right now and why at this particular moment in my life that um, I needed to watch it is because of personal circumstances in my own life. This is a film that's about a lot of things. It's about, well, and I want to say this on the outset, I think this film was prophetic in many ways. I think some films, they capture, they don't just capture a moment in, in our culture. Sometimes they capture what is to come. So I feel like the themes in this film, and this and this podcast may get a bit long, I don't know. I just feel like there's so much I need to go into with this film. This film, the themes of it, are very resonant and very relevant to the world we live in today. It's a film about immigration, um, the immigrant experience. It's about home, the idea of home, of leaving home, of exile um, in particular. And if you think of the refugee crisis of people having to leave their homes. What is the home? What is the definition of that? Um, we see there is um, there's a police encounter in this film that turns quite violent. So we have the violence of the police state in this film, which we have seen play out in terms of minorities for the last few years. We see the theme of immigration, and that's a very big issue right now. How immigrants are treated, the anti-immigrant sentiment in our country. In 2008, there was the recession, which led a lot of people to lose their homes. Um, I don't know the exact estimates, but I would say in the millions, perhaps. So, all of that's in this film. Um, and that's why I want to talk about it and I want to connect it to some of my own personal experiences. Um, as the title suggests, House of Sand and Falk, this is a film about a house. It's about a woman named Kathy, played by Jennifer Connelly, in what I think is one of her best performances. Um, she loses her house. It is auctioned off and Mr. Bayrani an Iranian immigrant played by Ben Ben Kingsley buys the house and so their lives collide and it's really about this house and about how this house is endowed with a lot of imagery and a lot of dreams for both of them 
And so it's about all of that. So, and I'm going to get into all that, of course. But I have to start with the personal. Not all films strike me in a personal way. I've done plenty of reviews of films for this podcast where I didn't necessarily have a personal connection to anything that the film was saying. Although I tend to want to review films where there is a personal connection. Because why else am I doing this? I mean, film is personal for me. It's like I spend a lot of hours watching movies. And I do that for a reason. And I do it for a myriad reasons. Sometimes it's because I want to learn more about another culture or I want to know how other people's lives are or I want to enter someone else's life. Sometimes it's through for comfort. I just want comfort. I want escape. And sometimes there's themes in a film that I want to revisit and I want to explore and that has something to say to my own life. Um, as many of you know, if you've listened to other episodes, I lost my father in 2006. I was 16 years old when he died. And it is the defining experience of my life. And it devastated me. It broke me in every possible way. And in many ways, I am a broken person. And I freely admit it. And I don't try to deny it or erase that. That my brokenness is part of me. It's part of who I am. And the difficulties that I go through and the struggle that I go through. And it's been 11 years since his death. But for me, time doesn't really do anything. If anything, it makes things harder. Because after he died, my grandmother died. And after my grandmother died, my uncle died. And all of this happened within a three-year period from 2006 to 2009. So by the time I'm 20 years old, I've gone to three funerals of, of family members who were part of my life. And it was devastating. It was devastating for my mother because that was her husband, her mother, and her brother. So his death, my father's death, basically it's this demarcation line. It's this line between the before and the after, of course. And and his death brought a lot of things. It brought grief, it brought depression, it brought anxiety, and it brought financial instability. It really plunged me and my mom into poverty. But throughout all that poverty, we had a house. When my parents first got married, they got married in the 1980s, they were able to get a house. And I grew up in North Carolina. That is my home, my home state. And they were able to have this house. And it was where I lived my entire life. And in 2015, I we went through some more financial struggles. Um, and we lost that house. It was... The, it was the home where I lived with my father. It was the home where I had my books. I am a big bookworm, big bibliophile. I love books. And over the course of my life, the I'm 28 now. And so when I lost the house, I was 26. 
So for 26 years, I had accumulated hundreds upon hundreds of books. My room was just packed with them, stacks and stacks and stacks of these books. I even, I didn't, I never had bookshelves. Um, I had uh, like dresser drawers. Instead of clothes in my dresser drawers, I had books. So I was just an obsessive sort of book hoarder in a way. And not only did we have to leave our house and we lost it, we had to leave the state of North Carolina. I, I've I've actually moved to two different states in the last two years. And all of this is because of economic reasons. I don't want to go into a lot of detail um, about my life and, and everything that's happened. It's complicated. It's boring, really. But for a job, for a job, you know, we had to move out of state. My mom did get remarried um, in 2010, so she has a husband. I live with my mom and my mom's husband. I don't refer to him as a stepfather because I'm not comfortable calling another person father or dad personally. And he came into our life when I was about 20. So it's not like this is someone I've known since I was a child or something. So. I was an adult when we first met him, so I just say my mother's husband. And so he got offered a job uh, by a company that had let him go, but the job was in another state. We were basically desperate. We were on the brink of basically being homeless and having nothing. So we, he took that job, obviously. I had lost my job as well. It was just a really intense point in our life where we were about to lose everything. So we moved to one state. It was in the Northeast. It was in New England, actually. We lived there for a few months, and then he got moved again to another place in the South. Not North Carolina, but deeper in the South. So we had to leave the house. We had to pack up our car with whatever we could fit in it. And we had to move. And we had to leave. And so I left the only home I had ever known for 26 years. And now I live in, you know, hundreds of miles away from the state where I grew up. Where I had roots, where I, you know, where my father's grave is. I can't even see my father's grave. Um, it's just been really difficult. And I don't talk about it to a lot of people because they're just, <laughs> there's not a lot of sympathy from people in the world in general. And unfortunately, I've often come across some of the worst people, and they are in my family too, um, who just do not have compassion for what other people go through or experience. And so I don't talk about it because I just feel like people are going to judge me. Or there's just a lot of shame that I have about losing the house, about not being able to find a job, you know, and keep it. And just, you know, I just feel a lot of shame about it. And, you know, some people just kind of, I, I think a lot of people move away from home and they don't see it as a big deal. But I, I lived in a small town. I'm a small town girl. I'm a country girl. I'm a southern girl. 
And that was the only home I had ever known for 26 years, for a quarter of a century. And I keep repeating this because I want you to understand what this did to me. This has been devastating to me to lose that house. I didn't get to get all my dad's stuff in the house. We had to leave basically 99% of our possessions. They're gone. You know what I mean? The books are gone. The things that my dad owned are gone. I have a few bookshelves in, in my room now with the books that I was able to get and take with me. I got my journals, my diaries that I had kept for many, many years. I got, I'm, I'm grateful for the things that I got. I know people get evicted or lose their homes and they don't get to take anything or, or very little. And I got a, a decent amount of stuff as much as I could. But psychologically, what it has done to leave North Carolina and to live in another place has just been devastating to me. And lately, I have just been obsessing about it. I've just been, I've been really depressed. And I've been thinking about my home and my house and where I lived and my neighborhood and my library and this whole life that I had created and and how it was connected to my father and, and the memories of him and the places, the restaurants we used to eat at and the places we used to go. And that was home. That was my home. It was more than a house. You know, we, <laughs> it was a place of, of my memories, of my childhood, of my identity, of my safety, you know. A house is more than a house, you know, it's it's connected with a lot of things and it was it was like this one bit of stability through a time that was so much that was filled with so much turmoil. You know, I lost all these people. I lost my dad. I've lost so much. And then I lost the house too. And this house that he had worked for, that he had that he and my mom had gotten and I just, I'm really struggling to deal with it. And I'm struggling where I live here and not having, not knowing anyone, not knowing how to create a life here. And it's, it's been a real struggle. The homesickness, the yearning for this place that I left. And yes, I'm still in the South and I'm still in the country where I was born. But it's just, it's really broken my heart and I don't know how to deal with it personally I'm just gonna be honest like it has just torn me apart and it's affected my mom a lot too because I'm 28 but she's in her 50s this is this is the place she had lived her entire life this is the place those were her roots though that was you know, she can't visit her mom's grave or she can't visit my dad's grave. She can't see friends or family that she had. You know, all of it's gone because of a decision we had to make where do we or do we stay home? Do we basically become homeless or do we take this job and move to another state? We had no choice in that moment. We really didn't. So it, this has been one of the most traumatic experiences of my life up to now. And I've been through a great deal in the last decade. 
Um, so that's saying a lot for me. Um, I've been so sad about it. I've just been anguished and tormented thinking about that house. Like, I can't even put it into words to you. Like, this place where I lived and where my life was and where I had some kind of stability. And now I'll be renting the rest of my life probably. I may never have another house. We live in an apartment now. It's very difficult to own a home in, in this country now. It's You have to have like a lot of money. You know, a lot of you who live in cities probably know that rent is through the roof. It is so difficult to have a home in this country to find a place to live. It's been a struggle making rent, you know, and, and, and all of this. It's been really difficult. And um, just a lot of things have sunk in for me, you know, that I may never see North Carolina again. I don't know. I don't travel much, and it's just, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever go back there. I mean, how would I, you know? It's just, yeah. It's been a really difficult situation. Very difficult experience for me personally. And I just don't talk about it because, I don't know. I don't think people really get it. I don't think they can. Uh, unless you've had my life and my experiences to understand how devastating it is. I think some people would just kind of shrug and say, oh, well, it's just a house or whatever or you know, oh, it could be worse. Someone said that to me once. <laughs> like, thanks. Yeah, I guess it could be worse. I guess a lot of things could be worse. It was really cold and insensitive. So I've just, I've kind of learned to not open up to people, you know, and to not talk about the things that I go through because I feel like people are just going to shrug it off and act like it doesn't matter. It's the same thing with grief. It's why I started a blog about grief where I could talk about what I was feeling because people don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear about your depression or your the things that you're going through and how much you think about your dead father. Like Nobody wants to hear that, right? <laughs> um, so this is the context in which I watch House of Sand and Fog and it's why I think it hits me so hard. So I want to talk about the film now, now that I've given you some personal context and I kind of went longer, more into detail than I had meant to, honestly. But, um, so this film is really about the collision of two lives. And I always find stories like that very interesting. The collision of strangers investigation discovery channel i don't know if any of you know about this channel they have a lot of uh, true crime documentaries they have a lot of shows like dateline 48 hours shows like that they had a show a few years ago i think it was like 2012 2013 it didn't last long but i thought it was one of their best shows and it was called fatal encounters and it was this show that had like this clock that would tick down to the moment when two strangers' lives were colliding, that of the victim and that of the killer, and all the steps that happened to create this fatal encounter, and how these two lives collided with one another, and how if maybe 
one thing had been different, maybe it wouldn't have happened. And Investigation Discovery also has another show called Fear Thy Neighbor, which is about when two neighbors, and these are true stories about neighbors who get into very intense altercations and sometimes someone dies in the in the process and how it often starts with something very small like a dog pooping in your yard or kids being too loud and how it gradually escalates between the two neighbors and how if just one of them at some point had made a different decision or had calmed down or had thought it through then maybe this terrible tragedy wouldn't have happened. And I was reminded of those shows when I was watching, re-watching House of Sand and Fog recently. As I say, this is about two lives colliding and the fallout from that, the violent fallout. It's about Kathy, as I said earlier, played by Jennifer Connelly. And she, her husband has left her. He left her eight eight months before the the story starts. She's living alone in her house that she that her father uh, left to her after his death. She's someone who's in sobriety. She's been sober for three years. Um, I guess she was an alcoholic before. She's someone who, and this takes place in California. They I think they show the Golden Gate Bridge. So I think it's sort of on the coast of California. It, def- it definitely is. The The house is near the ocean. And um, the cinematography is quite haunting and quite beautiful, I think, in this film. But she's in a really vulnerable part of her life. She's alone. She's in this house. She's been left by her husband. Um, there's a brokenness about her, about Kathy. And her life collides with that of Ben Kingsley, who plays a man named Mr. Bayrani, and he is an Iranian immigrant. His wife is played by Shoray Agdashlu, who is a wonderful Iranian actress. This film marked her return to films. She had done theater for a long time. And I do want to say that obviously Ben Kingsley is not Iranian. So do I have issues with him playing an Iranian? Yes. I just want to say that before I go on. That I think that is an aspect of the film that is unsettling. Um, you know, Shoray is Iranian and... I like I like that and that's authentic whereas Ben Kingsley is not Iranian and um I I absolutely acknowledge that Iranian people may watch this film in a different way that they may be offended perhaps by the representation of Iranians I thought it was pretty complex but I'm not an expert so I do want to say that there's obviously limits to my perspective and that there may be problematic aspects of this film to some people in terms of, you know, Ben Kingsley playing that nationality when he's not. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that. And, and I definitely understand those criticisms. 
but I find that there are things about this film worth talking about and that I think are valuable and that's what I want to explore. And so Mr. Bayrani has come to America with his wife and his children. Um, his daughter has married so she's not in the house anymore. Uh, they have a son. A young, uh, like a teenage son. They're actually living in an apartment. He, at the beginning of the film, is working as a construction worker and the night shift at a convenience store. He is from Iran, and in Iran he was very wealthy. He was a colonel in the army. He was someone of great status and importance. And as an immigrant to the United States, he has had to live a life that he's not accustomed to and a very difficult life um, in terms of being a construction worker and working at a convenience store trying to provide a life of luxury for his wife and son which they're accustomed to or they were accustomed to in Iran so this film is very much about the the immigrant or an immigrant experience. I don't want to say the immigrant experience, but it is about immigrants. It's and it's about how degrading it can be to be an immigrant in the United States. How often the worst work, the most backbreaking work is done by immigrants. Um, by Hispanic immigrants or, or any kind of immigrants from other countries and it's about how an immigrant I think is always inhabiting two worlds I mean I can't speak to that experience but I will say this having lost my home having had to move to another state I would never ever ever compare my experience to someone who has had to move countries or to a refugee or a migrant or an immigrant. I'm I'm not saying that so please don't think that I am. But what I'm saying is that losing my home, having to move hundreds of miles and create a different life somewhere else has given me a different sensitivity and it's given me a certain a new amount of compassion not that I ever held anti-immigrant feelings I've always had compassion for immigrants and what they go through and always been curious about their experiences and always cared about that but when you go through something like I've gone through it just it gave me a tiny tiny morsel taste of what that might be like and it did give me a new perspective on it that and a different sensitivity to it I think I'm not comparing it in any way because what I went through was completely different and I know that but I think sometimes our personal experiences sometimes we can use them to try to look at the world from a different set of eyes and what it might be like for someone else and so I saw Bayrani and the Bayrani family as people who were inhabiting two worlds they're here in the United States but they're also in Iran they talk a lot about their the house they had on the Caspian Sea in Iran and 
that is part of why he wants this house that he sees for auction in the newspaper and that house is Kathy's house she is really blindsided by the auction she didn't see it coming um, she was sent mail about it but she didn't open her mail she they take the house really at no fault of her own they said that she owed a business tax but of course she'd never had a business and she thought that she had figured it out that she had worked everything out that she had done what she was supposed to do and because of mistakes made by the bureaucracy of the state she is um, rudely awakened to the fact that she is now being evicted and so cops show up at her door and one of those cops is named Lester and he will be an important character in the narrative and um, they are there to evict her to, to um, take her out of the house for it to be auctioned and so Lester seems kind at the beginning he wants to help her he helps her put some of her stuff in storage and box it up and things like that and so Barani he goes to the auction and he buys the house and that is the point at which everything goes wrong but the thing is is that this house represents very different things to Barani and Kathy for Kathy it represents something that her father left her and her father is no longer alive so it is a connection to her dead father it is her childhood home I would guess it's a place to live I mean now that she's been evicted she's basically homeless so she's in a very vulnerable uh, position in her life she has nowhere to live she goes to a motel for a little while but her credit card doesn't work and so she ends up living in her car for Bayrani, um it represents a way out of his menial jobs he is able to buy the house at a very low price and he intends to do construction on it he adds he adds a balcony so that uh, he adds a balcony like at the top of the house so that you can see the sea so you get like an ocean view I guess of the Pacific Ocean and um, that increases the value of the home and so instead of him having to stay in his construction job he's able to he wants to turn the house he wants to flip it so he bought it for a low price him and his family are gonna live in it for a little while and then he's gonna sell it for a really high profit and they can get a bigger better house with that money and he can provide for them so they both have a lot on the line with this house and this house is really it's connected to the American dream right a big part of the American myth in this country is home ownership and that was something that really changed after the recession in 2008 that's also why I wanted to talk about this film even though I lost my home in 2015 when the recession hit in 2008 hundreds of thousands if not millions of people lost their homes when their um, these adjustable rate mortgages um, happened and the 
payments were huge for people and they could no longer make payments on their homes. So a lot of people lost their houses in the 2008 recession and we don't talk about it in this country. We do not talk about the ways in which the 2008 recession decimated like communities, decimated people's lives. Because when you lose your house, you lose a lot. When you become homeless, when you in, when you experience that kind of instability, it is devastating. But you would never know it if you watched HGTV, for those of you who are not in the United States. That's the, the Home and Garden Network, the Home and Garden Television here in the U.S. And it is a channel obsessed with real estate and with showing homes and now that I've lost my home I cannot stand watching that channel I my mom still watches it she watches fixer upper and property brothers and flipper flop and love it or list it and I can't do it I cannot watch that channel because you would never know that millions of people have lost their homes you would never know that I would I would bet that a lot of the homes that they get really cheap on some of these shows to flip are homes that people were foreclosed on and people that lost their homes. So when you've been on the other side of it, when you've been the one to lose your home and then you see shows where people are profiting off people losing their homes, it completely changes your viewpoint about the show. I'm not against anyone that that enjoys the HGTV network. But it is an incredibly white network. I mean, just about everybody on that channel is white. Um, I've read things that say that black families especially have low rates of home ownership. And in this country, home ownership is a big uh, way of, of having wealth, of having equity and, and things like that. And so the 2008 recession basically wiped out wealth for a lot of families and and created really a lot of instability for people's life and a lot of heartache now it is heartbreaking when you lose your home when you lose your possessions and your valuables and you know all the things i mean just think about look at your car if you have one and think about what you'd put in it if you had to leave like right then you had to leave in a day and you could only take so much and it hurts what do you have to leave behind those difficult decisions that you have to make that I had to make and so yeah I get really I get upset at this obsession with real estate and and um, how it completely makes invisible how a lot of people in this country can't even afford to have a house can't even afford to have a home I mean, I've read things how um read things about how in a lot of cities, especially rent is just ridiculous. Places like San Francisco are being overrun by Google workers and and you know Silicon Valley workers and people are being forced out and there's not affordable places to live in a lot of cities around the country and I would argue even in rural areas it's very difficult to own a house and um 
it's it's very difficult especially with the way jobs are these days where you're paid such a low wage and wages have been stagnant for a long time so home ownership is part of this american dream and it's really a hollow dream it, it's it's out of it's not possible for a lot of people in this country um to own a home um and so i just wanted to mention that for a moment because it's it's just it's become really difficult for people to own homes or to own the apartments where they live and um it's it's a part of the american experience that's becoming more rare i think for a lot of people so this house is endowed with a lot of things for Kathy and for Bayrani. It's his ticket to a better life here in the United States. It's it's a chance for him to take his pride back. You know, this is a man with a lot of pride who wants to take care of his family and wants to take care of his wife. This is a very masculine man. This this is a film about masculinity too. We have it in the figure of Bayrani, Mr. Bayrani, who he's been in the army. He's a military man. He used to be a colonel. He is very dominant in the relationship with his wife. And you could say that that's a bit problematic in the film is that it, it creates this portrait of Middle Eastern men um, at... Uh, I mean, think of the film Not Without My Daughter by Sally, with Sally Field where she, I think she's married to an Iranian man and, and he takes her daughter and where she goes to live in Iran or something. There are these portrayals of people from Iran, from the Middle East, um, as very domineering, as very violent towards women. That is certainly in our culture and I will agree with that but that's not I would say the portrayal of Barani is a bit more nuanced and a bit more complex because on the one hand you have Bayrani he has moments of violence with his wife um, he does hit her at one time he she basically has to bend to his wishes and what he wants and but on the other hand you have Lester the the police officer that Kathy gets involved with and he is sort of equally dominant as Bayrani is I don't think it's trying I don't think the film's trying to demonize Bayrani you know I think we see also with Lester we see a, a, a sort of toxic masculinity as well we see someone who is very is violent is very anti-immigrant there's one point where him and him and Kathy are talking and he's like oh he's Middle Eastern or he tells him to speak English and he has this very negative view of Middle Eastern people and of the Bayranis in particular um, so we see his own corruption and his own violence and um, and how he uses his 
his badge and his power as a cop to try and intimidate Bayrani. So we see these two men, this power play between the two of them. Because at one point Lester goes over there and, and he's trying to get the house back for Kathy. Because Bayrani's not going to sell it back. He's not going to do it. He wants to turn a profit. And so Kathy's not able to get the house back. And Lester goes over there and he's trying to intimidate Birani. And he says, well, I've got connections to the deportation people. So he uses the threat of deportation against this immigrant family. And it really reminded me how immigrants in this country, especially now, are sort of always vulnerable. Um, there's such negative, you know, emotions attached to immigrants. And, um... But what's uh, Bayrani has his moments. He has his moments where he is he is a bit violent. He is domineering, but he also has these very tender moments, or these moments of power and pride, because he's not going to get let Lester get away with that. He actually goes to the police. He reports what Lester did. Um. Lester gets in trouble for it. So, Bayrani is someone who, how do I say this? He's not going to let someone make him feel small or make him feel inconsequential as a person. He has his pride. He's very attached to his pride for better and for worse because his pride, it makes it so that he's not able to because there's, like I said, when I was comparing it to the Fear Thy Neighbor show, there's this point at which if one side had given a little, if one side had not escalated it, then maybe it wouldn't have culminated to this tragic ending. And Bayrani and Kathy are similar. There are moments when Kathy could stop what's happening. She could let the house go. She, that is the crux of this film. She cannot let this house go. She is so wrapped up in it. So wrapped up in how she feels about the house. The fact that the house has been taken away from her. Maybe she feels like she's lost so much. She just can't lose this house too. And Bayrani is equally holding on to the house. He wants to make this big profit. He wants to get his family in a better place. He wants to recapture the glory that he had in Iran and the status that he had in Iran. So both of them cannot see the other's perspective. This is what this film is, is about as well. It's just this ability to listen to another person, to see something from their viewpoint, you know. But Bayrani has his moments of tenderness, as I say. There's this scene where Kathy comes over there and she's in her car and she's trying to commit suicide. And you would think that he would not care. But he does care. And he sees her in the car putting a gun to her head. And in that moment, she's a human being and he's a human being. And he goes and he shows kindness to her and the family opens up the home to her. And Miss Bayrani takes care of her. And um, they are ultimately punished for that kindness. That they try to help her. And 
everything goes wrong for them. And, but it, but it's this powerful moment, I thought, of connection. And the way this plot works out, I just think it's beautifully plotted. Like, I'm, I don't know, I read some reviews and some were saying it's too heavy-handed, it's too, there's too much symbolism, it's trying too hard, but I, I don't agree with that. I think it's a really well-written film. And everything that happens for me happens naturally and happens organically that one that there's this cause and effect that each each decision that they make leads to the next and you can see you can see how it's unfolding and you can understand why it's unfolding in that way how one decision leads to another and then there's a consequence and then there's another decision it's this beautifully plotted film i thought and i would guess that the book is is somewhat similar but all of them, you, the thing about this film too is that you can see all of the perspectives. You see why Bayrani wants to sell the house for a profit. You see why Kathy wants the house. You see even Lester's point of view that some of the things that he sees in the film and he he interprets it the wrong way. He's just left his wife. Um and him and Kathy are having an, aff an affair and he's someone who seems unmoored who seems adrift just like Kathy seems lost and the two of them sort of find each other and there's this lostness and I think you could say the same for the Bayronis that there's something lost about them that here they are in America and they're trying to find their way and they're trying to figure out a way to live in this country you know when they have only known Iran and they have memories of Iran and they miss it and me and my mom were talking about this film a little bit today because she likes it too we're both like a big fan of this film we've watched it for years usually anytime that it's on TV we are gonna watch it together and just give me a minute. Okay. I just needed to take a break. Um, so I asked her today, I was like, Mom, why do you love this film? What What is it about this film that you like? And she said the most profound thing. And I wrote it down. She said, you can feel the aching in all of them. And I thought that was really the perfect way of describing this film and these characters. You feel the aching in all of them. And you do. You feel the aching in Bayrani for... for a life that he's accustomed to and the life that he wants to give his family. You feel the aching in Kathy for this home and for this house that she's lost. Um, you know, this was, she says it in one scene, she says, you know, my dad worked 30 years to pay this house, to pay off this house. And she said, I fucked it up in eight months. There's a shame there too. 
that I have lost this house. And my dad worked hard for it. And my dad left it to me. He wanted me to have this house. And I messed it up because I couldn't open my mail. You know, she doesn't say that part about the mail. But that's how she loses it. It's because, uh, you know, she doesn't open her mail. So there's absolutely an aching in all of these characters. And all of them have something to lose. And all of them have something that they're holding on to. And that they're trying to to get from this house. And so I thought that was the perfect way to put it. And um, I want to linger a bit on Jennifer Connelly because... I think this is one of her best performances. I would say in my book, it's her best performance personally. I have not seen every Jennifer Connelly film. I haven't seen A Beautiful Mind. I haven't seen Requiem for a Dream. Um, but this one and Dark Water are sort of my top two Jennifer Connelly films. I really like Dark Water, by the way. I think that's a really good eerie creepy scary film her face she is gorgeous in this film i'm just going to be honest she is radiant in this movie her eyes are gorgeous i don't know if i've ever seen her more beautiful as she is in this film she's just captivating i think um what she conveys in her performance is the aching that my mom mentioned but she also has this brokenness about her and this rawness this raw emotion uh, Kathy always feels like a character who is like on the verge of a breakdown on the verge of tears she is someone who has difficulty coping with life and I'm always interested in women like that I'm always interested in characters like that I actually tweeted a while back, and I really should go into more detail about it at some point, but I tweeted how I wasn't interested in strong female characters, that I'm interested in authentic female characters, and that there's a difference, that I don't expect everyone to be strong all the time. I myself am not someone who's strong. I would not describe myself in that way. You know, when I watch something like Barbara Loden's film, Wanda, would I say that Wanda as a character is strong? Not necessarily. When I watch Sophie's Choice with Meryl Streep, would I say that Sophie is strong? No. When I watch Christian Petzold's film, Phoenix, it's, it's a Holocaust film, with Nina Haas playing a, a, an Auschwitz survivor named Nellie, would I say that Nellie is strong? I don't know. What these women are, what Kathy is, what Wanda is, is authentic for me. They are broken. They are heartbroken. They struggle to cope. They struggle to navigate the world. You know, Kathy has sobriety issues. She seems to have depression issues. She is suicidal. She tries to commit suicide several times in the film. Is she strong? I don't know. Maybe we need a different conception 
uh, of strong. Maybe we need to reconceptualize what strength is. I would never say that I'm strong. Do I survive? Yes. Do I live? I do my best. I would never say that I'm strong. So I'm attracted to women characters who are just real, who are allowed to be emotional, who are allowed to be a mess. You know, I, I can't say I'm really attracted to women characters who are like really stoic or really ironic or really detached. Um, I don't go in for that. I'm not interested in that. It seems like that's sort of popular these days. You know, really detached, ironic girls who are like wry and, and they don't really get involved. And I, I'm not like that. I'm a mess. I cry. I'm emotional. I'm devastated. I'm grief stricken. I'm depressed. Like, I have all this going on. I'm I'm just I'm filled with so many emotions and feelings that I can't cope with all of them. I can't get them to make sense. I can't make myself make sense. I am lost. I'm absolutely lost in this world. I'm alone. I'm lonely. I'm aching. I am hurt. I'm injured emotionally. Um I'm complicated. I'm I'm silly at times. I'm serious at times. I'm I'm so many things. And so I like women characters who are like that too. But I, but more than anything I like women characters who feel. That matters to me. Is women who feel. Women who are emotional, women who cry, women who and I guess, you know, some people don't like that. I I don't know. I am attracted to women characters who struggle to cope and struggle to live and cannot figure out how to get through this life and always feel like a sense of alienation or a sense of not belonging or a sense of being lost or adrift. And so I definitely see that in Kathy and I will add her to my list of women who I call them, what do I call them? I call them like women on the edge of erasure. Women who are invisible. Invisible women, really. And who are sort of always on the verge of dissolving or, or disappearing, really. And so I think Jennifer Connelly does a really great job of... I think she conveys to you the heartbreak of losing her house and what that does to her. And how it really makes her feel unmoored and makes her feel out of control. I mean, I don't think it's any surprise that she starts drinking again. She's going through an incredibly emotional and trying time. And she starts to turn to alcohol again. And the cinematography and the look of this film is just gorgeous. I think this was Perlman's debut film and it's so gorgeous. There's these beautiful scenes of the Pacific Ocean, of course, of fog. It almost has a noir feel, like a neo-noir feel. Even though it's not a, a, a noir film, it and I, I can't even say that word well. <laughs> there's there's a so there's an like a mystery about the film or something I don't know but 
it's it's the fog and it's the there's a lot of like shots of nature like of 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 light streaming through the trees or um the sun setting into the into the pacific ocean or things like that there's like these shots of nature and and um it's just very powerful i don't know it's like there's something poetic about this film i think and the ways in which Berani and Kathy's lives have similarities to them and then how those two lives crash into each other and how they are both forever changed by <laughs> by the way that that these two lives are um by the way that their lives just collide with one another and and um how it just changes everything for each of them that always interests me you know when two strangers lives come together that way in really violent ways and you just think if you'd made like one different decision if she'd opened her mail it wouldn't have happened and this is not based on a true story obviously but there are things in people's lives where if you just made a different decision everything would be different everything if she'd opened her mail, if he hadn't have seen the auction notice in the newspaper, all kinds of things could have happened to change the end, and they maybe never would have come across each other. And um, and yet their encounter is violent, and it's dangerous, and it's irrevocable. I really think that I have talked about everything that I wanted to talk about with this film. It, Like I said, it, it's a prophetic film in the way that it looks at immigration and anti-immigrant sentiment. You know, Kathy and Lester at the beginning of the film, they're very put off by the fact that Bayrani is Middle Eastern, that, that Mrs. Bayrani can barely speak English. Um... They talk about, they say it in a in a derogatory way. Oh, you know, she barely knows English. Oh, he's, you know, he's Middle Eastern. And, um, and they think that they can sort of intimidate them and, and, and threaten deportation and, and things like that. And they think that he thinks that he can use his position of power against them. And it brings out this sense of vulnerability that many immigrants go through and how they're not trusted and how they're not really safe. That they're always at the mercy of the police state and of the government in many ways. You, you feel the precarious position that an immigrant like Bayrani is in, although he is an American citizen, so he doesn't necessarily have to fear that. But imagine if you were an, uh, an illegal immigrant or undocumented immigrant, how that would affect you if somebody was threatening deportation. You know, this comes five years before the 2008 recession when, you know, thou hundreds of thousands of homes are foreclosed and millions of people. Uh, perhaps um, lose their homes um, 
so already we have this anxiety um, that we see through Kathy of what it's like to lose your home to become homeless the fear and so she's precarious in a different way but Ronnie is precarious in terms of being an immigrant and and things like that but Kathy is vulnerable because she becomes homeless and she's alone she has a mother she has a brother but they don't live in California or they don't live nearby her husband's left her she is completely alone and on her own and so we see how both of them are vulnerable in that way and I would even say that her position is very similar to Mrs. Bayrani that this film is really propelled by men and by their their need to dominate or their their power struggle between Lester and Mr. Bayrani to show who's in charge to show who's more powerful and a lot of the plot um, is propelled by the men and so while Mrs. Bayrani is sort of at the mercy of Mr. Bayrani um, so too is Kathy really at the mercy of Lester who sets certain things in motion that cannot be undone and that lead to great violence you know Kathy sets some of that in motion too of course unknowingly but Lester is the one who really puts those things into motion and uses violence um, to try and get what he wants so they're both sort of at the mercy of the men in their lives and they're both sort of powerless and helpless um, in that sense and they sort of share that in a way of how these two men interact with each other and how things get out of control very quickly in a way that no one would have foreseen or thought so that's why I say that this film is prophetic in the way that it looks at immigration in a way that it looks at exile at these you know the Bayranis have had to leave their country and they're always yearning for Iran and almost trying to recreate their lives in Iran here in the United States and um, and so it makes you think about the ideas of like what home is and how do you create a home and and a house is really connected to that of how how people think of themselves and how they think of home so yeah it's really a, a film about immigration, about home, about vulnerability, about the ways in which our lives can intersect and collide with other lives in unforeseen ways and unpredictable ways. And, um, yeah, it's about all those things and more, as I have talked about, um, I just think that it's I think it's a really good film and everybody may not agree with that everybody may not like the film or may think that it tries too hard or or whatever but as I say I see this film through a personal lens through things that I've gone through in my own life and I can't help but see the film in that way and to bring some of that to it 
I've always liked the film since I saw it more than a decade ago, but my own experiences have obviously changed my relationship to it. And so I think there's a lot in it that is valuable and that is important in some of the things that it has to say. Um, it's not a perfect film by any means, um, but I think it it was prophetic in many ways. And it gives it gives us a lot to think about and it makes us see both sides and to sympathize and have compassion for both sides or all sides that are engaged in this battle for this house and what that does to to people in in the process and what it does to these characters who are trying to hold on to this house and for and the ways in which this house represents so much more than what it is and how it it represents home it represents a better life it represents the american dream it represents a connection to someone who's dead it represents stability it represents financial stability for Bayrani if he can sell it at a profit allows him to have a better life than what he's been having allows him to quit that construction job and that convenience store job um, so he starts off trying to do a good thing for his family and it really turns into a nightmare for him and for Kathy as well and they both get entangled in this drama that for me every step feels perfect and feels everything that happens feels so inevitable and like it had to happen and it felt very natural and believable to me but that's all I will say I have talked enough and um yeah I'll stop here thanks so much for listening I, I really appreciate it until next time keep watching great films um bye for now